I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. Um, got to travel with my family, got to see them, and I hope that you had a good time with friends and family as well. And I'm so glad that you're joining us, especially like if you're here visiting because you were with friends and family. We're glad that you get to join us this morning and be a part of our family. I remember when I very first started um, attending Crossroads and found that like this was my church home, this is where I wanted to be, um, I wanted to jump in and I wanted to serve anywhere that they would let me. Like anywhere that this like place had an opening, I was there. So like I was started teaching in kids' church, that was like one of the first things that I was doing. I was serving on our youth team, I was upstairs running slides, I eventually joined our teaching team, I played drums on the worship team, uh, which I can't believe they let me do that still, I was not good. Um, but it's, you know, it's not about being good, it's about having a heart of worship. But I was so nervous every morning, I don't think I had a heart of worship, I think I just did not want to mess everything everything up was how I felt every time I got there. But, you know, whatever they let me do, um, I did it. And uh, uh, I loved that. And I think my church family loved that. Uh, the person who did not love that was my mother. This proved contentious at home. Not because she wasn't glad that I was serving at church. She had raised me to do so. But I remember um, we got into a little bit of an argument when I was, like, I was like 16 years old when we started attending here. So I'm like 16, 17, and we got into a little argument where my mom said, I wish you loved serving this family the way you love serving your church family. Uh, it was painful for her to watch me taking out the trash with a smile on my face and, uh, and you know, uh, doing all of the jobs here, stacking all the chairs, um, when, like, at home, she felt like I didn't really lift a finger. Now, I think my mom didn't understand the real reason that high school boys stack chairs at church. If you don't know, ask one of our high school or uh, college-age boys, and they'll explain to you why you want to stack all the chairs at church. Uh, but she had actually stumbled upon, she had stumbled on something that I, yet, I didn't yet have, like, the self-awareness to understand about myself. I hadn't yet really, like, uh, grasped it, and I think that she had. Um, which was that my motivations for doing a lot of these things were selfish. I think, yes, there was a part of me that loved my family and friends that I was making at church and wanted to help them, but also there was a bigger part of me that loved the praise that I got from my new family and friends at doing those things. I wanted to be seen stacking chairs and taking out the trash and serving. I loved that they would tell me I was doing a good job. Breaking leaves at home didn't produce quite the same effect. Nobody knew that I had done it. <laughs> um, and so it wasn't worth doing in my mind. And so what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about that self-serving attitude that I had in my heart at that time and that I still often can get in my heart and what we can do about it. So welcome to the finale of our Something Stink series. My name's Nathan, if we haven't met yet. I get to lead our children, youth, and young adults here at Crossroads, and I love um, getting to do so. And over the last few weeks in our Something Stink series, we've been learning to love the people in our lives who have stinky attitudes, as well as learning what we can do if we're the ones that have the stinky attitude as well. Uh, and our goal is to turn those odors into aromas. So when we have that stinky attitude and it's become an odor, then we want to turn that odor into an aroma. I think we even have a slide for that one, turning odors into aromas. Maybe not, though. 
Jaren's shaking his head, no, we don't have that. We don't have that slide. <laughs> um, so we've so far addressed a few different types of stinky attitudes during this series. Um, we've ad- addressed self-defeating attitudes, self-righteous attitudes, and today we discuss those self-serving attitudes. I was originally going to say that like, this is the hardest one for me out of all of them. The self-serving attitude is the hardest one. But what I've realized through this series is that they're all the hardest one for me. <laughs> um, they're all tough. I, I, it just, in all reality, uh, it can be difficult to maintain a good attitude. It's difficult not to be self-righteous in a world that feels like it's heading in the wrong direction. Because it's really easy to be like, if you just listen to me, we can fix this. If we just did things my way, this wouldn't be an issue, right? If you just saw the world the way that I saw it, and then I get really self-righteous. It can be difficult to not be self-defeating when you often make mistakes. Like, they say, like, if at first you don't succeed, but what if, like, at last you don't succeed? Like, I've, I've, I'm spent. I've done it as many times as I can, and I still haven't succeeded. Because I feel that way sometimes, right? And I can become pretty self-defeating. And then it can be difficult to not be self-serving when it feels like nobody else is serving me, right? So I guess I got to serve myself. I got to look out for myself. All of those different things will lead to, those will all lead to bad attitudes. It will lead you to be selfish and arrogant and, well, something will stink. And isn't that just the worst When you catch whiff of something that smells pretty gnarly, only to realize that you caused it, (laughs) you're like, oh, that's my own BO. (laughs) That's tough. Um, I don't know what to do about that. And so this morning is for you, and it's for me, but only you and only me. I think it's easy to hear a message like this one and be like, oh man, like I'm going to go home and I'm going to share this one with my husband. I'm going to go home and I'm going to share this one with my kids or my parents or my friends because, man, their attitudes stink, right? But this message is for you and it's for me because God has something for you and God has something for me in this. This morning is for you if you have found yourself to be selfish. This morning is for you if you're always talking about yourself and and, and not others. It's for you if you're always shopping for yourself. It's for you if you would step on others to get ahead, to get a promotion, to get ahead in life. It's for you if you struggle to go out of your own, to go out of your way to be there for others. It's for you if your friends could not count on you in a pinch because you only look out for you. This message is for you if you struggle with gratitude. It's for you if you struggle with jealousy. It's for you if, you, um, if you've ever like, had to apply for a job or school or something, and there's that box where it's like, what community service have you done? And you're like, I've never done that before. <laughs> I don't know what I would write there. Um, this one is for you if once you started a family, you and your spouse just stopped volunteering and stopped serving others because it was just about you guys now. Uh, and it's for me because... I find some of those things that I just said ring true for me, and some of them might ring true for you as well. And if that's you, and if that's where you are, and if you heard maybe one or two of those, and you're like, ah, that one kind of stung, like you're kind of being a jerk, Nate. Like, if that was you, that's okay, because that's me also. I I wrote those, and I was like, you're being a jerk to yourself. Like, (laughs) some of that is, is accurate, right? 
But that's okay because this message can help, and that's okay because the Holy Spirit can help. We don't need to stay in any of those places. This message is also for you if you have somebody in your life who's self-serving. Maybe you're here and like, you're like, dude, like, I'm actually like pretty selfless. I'm pretty good at putting others first. I've practiced. I've been doing that for a while. So this message is also for you if you have somebody close to you, if you have a close family member or friend or coworker who is self-serving, because we also need to know how to love those people, right? So you might be here and you might be quite selfless, but you might have a close family member or friend who's using you and offering nothing in return. Uh, they might be somebody who you struggle to set boundaries with. Uh, they might be hard for you to love. They might drive you up the wall. They might drain you. And so remember, this message is for you also, not for them, because God wants to help you love them. If they're not hearing this message, if they're not there, then we're not going to fix them, but God might help us to love them better. And so, let's dive in. Jesus came to this earth teaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And he taught his followers to seek the kingdom of heaven and to treasure it and to live differently in it because it was arriving. The kingdom of heaven was different from the earthly kingdoms that Jesus' followers were used to. It was going to be very different than the Roman Empire. It was very different than Egypt, just to their south. It was different than the Germanic kingdoms to the north and to the west of them, right? Like, this was going to be a very different place than anything that they had ever experienced. The kingdom of heaven was also a little bit vague for them when Jesus would teach about it, because it wasn't a kingdom that, like, they were, like, actively living in yet. It was a kingdom that was arriving, and, like, it didn't have, like, enforcers. It was just a way that, like, you were expected to, like, change the way you were living. Like, it was just very different, right? And it was abstract. And so Jesus would teach them different lessons about the kingdom of heaven to help them understand it. He teaches these a lot through parables that you can find in the Gospels. The reason I share that is because it, that concept of the kingdom of heaven kind of reminds me of a follower of God in the Old Testament and a command that he had received. And so I want to set the stage for this guy. His name was Solomon. And we're going to get to him in a moment. Solomon was a king in the Bible, and his dad named David was one of the most famous kings from the Bible. David was regarded as a good and faithful king, and he actually receives this pretty high praise in the Bible. David gets called a man after God's own heart. A pretty spectacular thing to have the biblical authors say about you. And David actually had a desire to build a temple for God. He wanted to build a temple for him uh, where the Spirit of God could reside. You see, uh, the Spirit of the Lord had so far been traveling with uh, something called the Ark of the Covenant. It was, a, uh, it was sort of like a, like a box. You've maybe even seen like Raiders of the Lost Ark with Indiana Jones, right? So they would travel around with the people of Israel. And up until this point, it was, didn't have like a permanent resting place. So it would travel and it would like sit in like the tents. And it would travel around with the uh, Israelite people wherever they went, and that was where the Spirit of the Lord would be. The Ark had, like, the Ten Commandments in it and stuff like that, okay? And the Ark of the Covenant represented the promises between God and God's chosen people, the Israelite people. 
But until this point, it had no permanent home. And so David sought to change that. David wanted to have a temple where people could travel to and they could worship God and where the Spirit of God would be. Uh, and, like, David, like, when I say he was a man of, after God's own heart, like, when the Ark of the Covenant with the Spirit of God there, when it arrived in Jerusalem for the first time, like, David went crazy, like, in a good way, worshiping God, praising him. It said that he danced in an undignified way, right, uh, before the Ark and before God. So when David finally was ready to build a temple to this God who he loved because he had a heart for him, he was told by God, no. He was told, you will not be the one to build my temple. You will not be the one to build this place. God said that a man with that much blood on his hands should not be the one to build his home. Okay? David had been a warrior king. He had gone out and he had slain his thousands. They sang songs about it. Uh, but he had been a man of war for so much of his life. God said, you can't be the one to build my temple. And so we see that God establishes another covenant with David. He makes another promise with him. Uh, he makes an agreement. He says that David's son will be a man of rest. He will be a man of rest, not war and that he would be the one to construct the temple. But God also says this. He says, your son, Solomon, we're getting to, your son will also live by the law that was given to Moses, because all kings are expected to live by this law that was given to Moses. You see, being king of Israel did not look like how we imagined the other earthly kings either. The Israelite king was supposed to be something of like a scholar, not really like a warrior. David, in fact, was a little bit different in that he was a warrior. Let's see if we could go to Deuteronomy. Let's see what the Israelite king was supposed to look like. Let's see how Solomon, David's son, was supposed to live. We could throw that up. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Yeah. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then when you say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. So they're like, when it's time to set a king, you can do that. You are allowed. Okay? Let's continue. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never turn that way again. So we see the first thing for the king is they're not to acquire horses from Egypt. Seems pretty easy, I guess. Um, easy thing not to do. There's horses all over, right? He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. Some of these other things are a little bit harder because these are the things that kings often did. Like if you looked around at the kings surrounding Israel, they all had many wives. They all had an excess of silver and gold and horses and, and things like that. Uh, but okay, hopefully we can, we can stick to those rules, right? And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. So you're also to handwrite your own Torah. You're supposed to handwrite uh, the, the books of the law by, uh, on your own and then have it approved by the priests to make sure it's accurate, okay? And it shall be with him and he shall read it in all the days of his life. And then every day you're expected to read the book of the law, okay? That way he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law. 
and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandments, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And so we see that these are the rules for the kings of Israel. This is what they are to do. He's to have his own Torah handwritten by himself. He was to read it every day and not to stray from it. Nowhere in here does it say, your king shall be a great warrior. Nowhere does it say, your king shall have lots of wives or be very wealthy. In fact, it says quite the opposite. It says not to do those things. He's not to have many wives or to seek riches because those things could turn you away from God. And what's amazing about this is that this is written 400 years before Israel's first king. About 400 years before. God did not want Israel to have kings. Uh, in fact, he, he says as much. He knew the eventual result of them having kings. But he also knew that the people would seek to put someone on the throne. And so he had prepared a way for them to do it well. All right, I don't want you to have a king. But if you do, make sure that they do this. Make sure that this is the way that they live, and it will go well for you. I don't want you to have kings, but if you do, this is how it should be. And so that takes us to Solomon, the peaceful son of David. The one who is given wisdom by God, if you read his story. He also was given wealth and prestige and prosperity. His kingdom was one of rest and peace and wealth. He was the one that would build the temple. He was the one, though, who would not follow the instructions that were laid out in the book of the law. The book of the law that he hand-wrote himself, by the way, that he hand-copied himself, he was the one that would not follow those instructions. Solomon was the king of God's chosen people. What that meant was that he was to bring God's will to earth. That was the job of all Israelites from the time of Moses, is they were supposed to show the rest of the earth the way that they should live. Show them how to live in God's way. Show them how to live in God's kingdom. They were followers of the laws of God. They were a reflection of what life could be like in God's perfect plan. But much like the Israelites would often stray, so too would Solomon. If we could go to the first Kings verse, this is what it says about Solomon and his wives. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as his father David had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place 
for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. We see that his heart turned to other gods. He imported horses from Egypt. It doesn't say that in that verse, but it actually says another one. The one that I thought was like the lowest bar. The Bible is very clear. It's like Solomon did that too. He brought horses from Egypt, which was like the first rule, right? But it's not just that. He married foreign women. He uh, built altars to other gods in the high places, the places reserved for just the Lord, his God, Yahweh. Nobody on all the earth was wealthier. Nobody on all the earth, I imagine, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, he did everything that he was not to do. And so I imagine the question that you might be wondering, and it's a fair question, is what does this have to do with me? (laughs) What does this have to do with me and my attitude? (laughs) It's a fair question. Maybe... You have been importing horses for me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Unless you are, in which case, that's kind of cool. Um, I I mean, not cool, not cool. God said not to do that. Um, No, in all seriousness, seriousness, it's easy to build altars to other gods in the high places of our lives. And what's still easier than that is to build an altar to ourselves in the high places place of our lives. Solomon was supposed to be building God's kingdom. He was supposed to be an example of God's kingdom, and he failed at that. But that wasn't just Solomon's job. That's our job as well. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God no longer resides in the temple that Solomon built. Hasn't resided there for a long time. That temple was destroyed. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. The Bible says you are not your own. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If you didn't know it, now you do. Now I do. We are the temple of God. That means it's your job and it's my job to bring heaven to earth. To build not our own kingdom, but to build God's kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand 2,000 years ago. That means it has been at hand for the last 2,000 years. It's not going anywhere. It's arriving. And it's our job to help bring it. And here's the thing about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is selfless. It is a selfless kingdom. Because you are not your own once you have the Spirit of the Lord in you. And I am not my own. I have not been my own for a long time. But I don't always live that way. I often live like it's just me and that it's my kingdom to be built. But God's kingdom is different. How is God's kingdom different? God's kingdom cares for the widow and for the orphan. Not always very good at that. I often find that to be somewhat inconvenient. But God's kingdom says, that's what you do here. God's kingdom expects you and me to be the good Samaritan in that parable and to help the stranger. 
Okay? Many of the people in the parable of the Good Samaritan, there was a man beaten and bloodied on the road. Many of them passed him by. Many of them did not have the time, did not want to put in the effort. And I often live my life that way. It's a lot easier to just keep going. I have places to be. I, have, I keep a pretty strict calendar, right? And it's a pretty full calendar. But the Good Samaritan stopped. And God says, if you're in my kingdom, you're the one that stopped. God's kingdom goes the extra mile, as Jesus teaches. You go, as far as you've been asked, do a little bit more to help. God's kingdom visits the brother who is imprisoned and visits the brother who is sick. God's kingdom, <laughs> it loves your neighbor and it loves your enemy, both. Loving my neighbor is hard enough sometimes, and you want me to love my enemy? Jesus says, yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. That's what we do in my kingdom, because my kingdom is different than all of the kingdoms here on earth. God's kingdom is meek, and it is humble, and it is altogether just the opposite of what my, nat my nature is. My nature is not meek, and it is not humble. And God says, well, I'm going to help change your nature. I'm going to help change your human nature because I've given you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes, gone are the days of kings. But not really. Not really. Because you and I have been grafted in to God's family. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. And so just like... Solomon was expected to be a king who modeled what it was like to follow God's law. You and I are princes and princesses who are to model what it's like to live like Jesus today. And not only that, we have an advantage that Solomon did not have. Solomon was building a temple for the Spirit of the Lord to reside in a place. You and I are the temple. We have the Holy Spirit in us, empowering us to live the way that Jesus did. And not only that, we have the whole Bible to show us the way that Jesus would live also. We have all of his teachings, something that Solomon did not have. He had the first five books. We get the whole thing. We get all of it. We get to read the stories written by people who lived and walked with Jesus. I mean, this verse, if we could throw up that Philippians verse, this sounds really hard. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That sounds really hard, but we have been empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit, and we've been given the Bible to teach us how to do so. Uh, we have a phrase that we share quite a bit at youth group. Uh, it says, uh, when you see as God sees, you'll do as God says. When you see as God sees, you'll do as God says. We also have a message coming up that's going to use that in it uh, at youth group again because it's a good one. Right? It says that like, when you read your Bible, when you do see as God sees, when you read your Bible and you understand the way God sees the world, it will be easier to do the things that God says to do. And look, um, you might be here this morning and you might not yet follow Jesus. You might not yet believe in him. You might not yet know what you think about him. If that's you and you're here this morning, then that's okay. You don't need to build God's kingdom because you don't yet follow that God. You don't yet follow his teachings. 
You didn't sign up for that yet. But I do imagine that you too wish that people were more selfless and more kind in this world, even if you don't yet follow Jesus. And what's really cool is you can also still model that. You can still live that way. Uh, you can still work on that. But let me say one last thing about Solomon to you. If you're here and you're like, I don't yet follow Jesus. I don't yet know about that. Um, we believe that Solomon, um, we believe that he wrote a book uh, in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. The author is not 100% verified, but we're pretty sure it's him based on writing style and time period. And if it is him, it really helps this verse uh, ring true. Um, in Ecclesiastes, uh, which we think was written by Solomon, it says this, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. He's like, I did it all. I had all the wives. I had all the power. I had all the wealth. I did everything that the earth would say, that, you know, the world had to offer. I tasted it all, and it didn't fill me up. It didn't make me content. It was meaningless, like chasing after the wind. So if that is you, and you're here, and you're like, I don't know about Jesus. Let me tell you, I often feel pretty content, and that's only because of Jesus in me. And I bet there's a lot of people here who follow Jesus, and they feel the same way. They wouldn't go back. They wouldn't go back to chasing after the wind because they found what really satisfies. Don't spend your time, don't spend your life building the wrong kingdom. And your kingdom, it just is. It just is the wrong kingdom because there's only one that will bring contentment and satisfaction. If you are in here and you do follow Jesus, you're like, I've accepted him. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I know it. I'm picking up what you're putting down, Nate. If that's you and you're there, then this is your expectation. You are a partner with God. And isn't that kind of a cool thing to like partner up with God, right? In the Old Testament, we discover that humans weren't able to be good partners to God. We see that in the life of Solomon, but we see that in the lives of all the people throughout the Old Testament. They weren't able to do it. And so Jesus came and he filled that role. He upheld humanity's end of the agreement. And now Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of his new covenant family. Jesus commits to helping us be better to be more faithful partners. And he left us with a partner in the Holy Spirit that I've mentioned here a couple of times to empower us to do our part. And so the end of the story of Jesus is the beginning of our story of humanity partnering with God and helping to accomplish his plan and bring heaven to earth. Matthew 6.33, this will be our main verse this morning. If you, if you want one to write down and to remember, it says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If this verse is feeling a little bit familiar, we talked about it two weeks ago uh, when we were talking about a self-righteous attitude. And we talked about like, seek God's righteousness, not your own, right? Now we're talking about seek his kingdom and not your own. That's what we're talking about this morning. He promises that all these things will be added to you. God says in this passage, if you read it in the context, like he'll meet your needs. But we also know that Jesus promises other things when we follow him and we seek him. But we can, always, we can always seek our kingdom the way that Solomon did. We can always seek to build our own kingdom, right? Seek first your kingdom and all these things will be added 
to you. Like, we could do that if we could go to that, that next slide. Like, we could do this, but if we fill in that blank if, of seeking our own kingdom, I don't think we'll like what we find. If we could throw up the one with the blanks filled in. Like, I think those first three things are probably what we're seeking when we seek our kingdom, and I think we can find them. I think we can get them. Wealth, popularity, status. I think those things can be found if we build our own kingdom. I think we see people do that all the time. It's just all the stuff that comes along with it is the stuff that I don't want. And it's the stuff that I think often follows. The stress of trying to spin all those plates and and cover all those bases. The anxiety of it. The resentment as we burn bridges and seek only ourselves. The vengeance and the lust and the confusion and just sort of the, the emptiness, like chasing after wind that we see in Ecclesiastes. I'm not saying that it will be each of those things that will come to you if you build your own kingdom. I, I, don't, I don't know that it will be a complete list that will check all those boxes there, but I know the risks of them. I know that when I live for myself, I risk living the way that the world does. And the ways of the world often seem logical, like an eye for an eye, like seems like a logical way to live. Living at a hurried pace to cover all of my bases, that makes sense. But God just teaches another way. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. When I think about that, when I think about God's kingdom and, and the things that can be added, it's just a better list. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Like, the, like, all of that just sounds like a much better thing to be added to me. Not only will he meet my physical needs, but he'll also meet my spiritual needs, the things that I need in my life. I mean, when the Bible promises peace that surpasses all understanding, I often need some of that. It's not just that. There's other promises made throughout the Bible. It says, like, if you ask for wisdom, he'll provide it. Uh, when I follow God and his kingdom, that gives me a hope that the world just doesn't offer me. Hope of a savior, hope of heaven coming to earth, hope that all things work together for the good of those who love him. Man, a purpose. It gives me a purpose. I think we often ask, like, what is our purpose, right? And it's like to know God and to make him know. Like, oh, man, that simplifies that for me quite a bit. I know what my purpose is. Community. I have others that love God and that want to live this way and want to help build his kingdom well, man, now I have instant community with others that love him. And because of that, they're going to love me. And I can love them too. And that's not to say that things won't be difficult in seeking his kingdom. It, it will be difficult. Ask any follower of Jesus and, and they'll tell you. But also, if you ask any follower of Jesus, they will tell you that they would never go back to building their own kingdom. That they only want to build is. And so, this morning, what I would have us do is I would have us look inward. Take a few minutes and look inward now, if, if you're able, and think about whose kingdom are you building? Are you building God's, or are you building your own? I oftentimes am finding ways that I can like build both. I'm finding like the cheat code that's like in between, right? Where it's like, um, I want to 
I want to serve God and do the right thing, but I want to do it when it benefits me too. Right? And that's something that I want to repent of, and that's something that I want to turn from. I don't want to only help others when it benefits me. In fact, Jesus speaks to that in the Bible. He says, even, even the Gentiles do that, right? He's like, even, he's like, even people who don't know God are doing that, right? They're helping others when it helps themselves. God's saying, you don't have to live that way, right? Like Jesus says, like, you can live a better way. I want to follow God and be truly altruistic in doing so. I want to help others who can offer nothing in return. And I know God wants me to do that too. So think about whose kingdom are you building? Are you building your own? Are you building God's? If you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, we're going to have prayer teams after service, and we would love to pray with you for that. We would love to pray for you to, to join his kingdom, to join in bringing heaven to earth, to join in, uh, in uh, his will happening here as, as in heaven. Um, and if you realize that you if you realize that you're here and, and you've been building your own, whether you're a follower of God or not, what I would have you do is I would have you ask God, how can I work to build your kingdom? What things can I repent of and what things can I turn from? How can my attitude be changed? Because sometimes my attitude stings. Sometimes I'm living for me, God. In this area of my life, I'm just so focused on myself and I'm not serving my kids well or I'm not loving my classmates well or I show up to work every single day and it's just about me and I'm just missing all the people around me who need God's love, right? There might be an area of your life where you're building your own kingdom and God wants you to turn from that. So ask him what that is. And then if you're here this morning and you're like, and you're like looking at your life and you're like, I feel like I'm pretty good at building God's kingdom, but I have somebody in my life who's hard to love. If you're here this morning and you're like, I, I know the person who it is that drains me, the person who it is who I'm not loving very well, the person in my life who they're, they stink, right? Like their self-serving attitude isn't good. Then what I would have you do is I would have you pray for them this morning. It's really difficult to not love somebody if you're praying for them. When you pray for somebody, you're asking for God's will to happen in their life, and that is loving. That is a loving thing that you can do. And don't just pray for them this morning and then forget about it, right? Keep praying for them. Continue to do so. Continue to ask for God's will to happen in their life. Continue to ask uh, for them to, to know God in a new and a pronounced way. And that will not only maybe like change them as you invite God in that situation, but it will definitely change you because you're practicing loving them each and every day. So I'm going to pray, and then the worship team is going to come up, and we're going to sing one more song. And after that song is over, uh, prayer teams will be up here. And after that song is over, I'll be up here as well uh, to uh, pray for you for this or for anything else. Uh, something else that we say pretty often in youth group is we want to pray for anything from goldfish to grandma. If you have a sick goldfish, we want to pray for that. If you've got a sick grandma, we want to pray for that too. There's nothing too big or too small for us to pray for and for us to invite God to work on. And so I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you that you're bringing heaven to earth. Thank you that uh, you seek to that you seek to change us, God, and that you've loved us so much. Um, that's something that I've been uh, praying about a lot is just uh, that I would know how loved I am by you. And so I pray that you would show that not just to me but to everybody here. Uh, show my church family how much they are loved by you. Help them to see themselves the way that you see them, God. 
And I pray that you would begin to work on us, that you would help us to seek to build your kingdom, Lord, uh, and, and not our own, because you're going to provide for us. You're going to meet our needs. So I pray that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And I pray that we'll take everything that we've learned throughout this series about um, our attitudes, about the self-righteous attitude, the self-defeating attitude, the self-serving attitude, and that uh, we could take those and that uh, we would begin to walk with new attitudes and that those odors would be turned into aromas, Jesus. All these things we pray in your name, Lord. If you'd like to stand with us, go ahead. Um, as Nate said, this might be a really good opportunity to reflect in. Um, maybe about those areas where you're being invited to uh, be a little more selfless. Um, or areas where you're invited to love somebody who it's really challenging. And we're going we're gonna to sing the chorus of He is Faithful to bring our attention again to his righteousness and his kingdom, who he is, what he does. And then we're going to sing um, about setting a fire within us to press in more to those areas. Maybe it's kind of easy to press in to his kingdom and seek more of that. Um, and maybe it's a little challenging as well. And we have the authority to, to call on Holy Spirit to ask Jesus to help us seek more of that. We're not alone in seeking that. So don't be discouraged if it's really hard to love somebody, if it's really hard to be selfless. We're humans, <laughs> and Jesus has so much grace for that, and he welcomes us to ask for help.
So I pray today um, that we don't leave the same, that we leave with a new message we take take with us throughout the week in the way we interact with people, the way we think about people, um, the way we love people, and the way we love ourselves, Lord, that we love ourselves the way, the way you love us. Thank you so much, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like some prayer, our prayer teams will be up after. Um, Follow that that nudge if, if you're feeling called to get some prayer. And it's so lovely to see all of you here today. So thank you for coming, and have a good Sunday.